So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin here with our friend, my friend and yours, David Hampton. Uh, we've got a good guest on tap for today. She's down in Florida, and we are recording this on the morning uh, after the arrival of Hurricane Nicole yeah. in South Florida, hitting just north of where our guest is. I certainly hope that we're going to be able to make uh, contact with her, connection with her, and we can, uh, because we're doing this via the worldwide interweb, we've got to be connected. Yeah. Uh, man, what an eventful fall. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, yeah. How's your life, David? Uh, you know, my life is good, and I have to keep reminding myself of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is. I'm doing. I'm doing well, and um, you know, the uh, the work I'm doing is uh, continuing to keep me busy, and uh, I have uh, you know some some good things going on in my family, and um, I have started taking um, Thursdays after we record, you know, we record on mm-hmm. typically on Thursday mornings. And um, I, I have blocked out from about, um, you know, uh, noon to two o'clock. And I go down and have uh, lunch with my parents uh, oh. every Thursday now. They're 86. And, you know, I used to I used to just work all week long as every day was a work day. And I booked up mm-hmm. every day clients and mm-hmm. I stayed in my office all the time. And I, and then I lamented that I didn't have time on the weekends to go see him as much as I wanted to. And, um, you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. And I was encouraged by somebody really close to me and said, you know, they're not going to be here forever. And mm-hmm. at 86, you might want to go down and, um, start investing a couple hours and just, you know, uh, bring lunch and visit with them every week. And so yeah. I started doing that and man, they got really, yeah, they got really used to it and they really yeah. look forward to it. And you would think that, you know, when I come in there with, uh, some sandwiches and, you know, whatever, uh, that, uh, I had been Jesus and the loaves and fish, you know, it yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, this is just wonderful. I thank you. And, oh, it's great. But it's really given me a, a nice um, little break in my week, and I'm learning. I, I'm learning that I am in charge, mm-hmm. and that sounds really weird. But I have a thing on my on this uh, table in my in my office in front of the chairs around which we sit, um, and I have written on this big legal tablet in big letters, "You are in charge!" Exclamation <laughs> point. That in front of me all the time because I'm realizing that um, I 
I get to pick when I work. I mean, I need to, you know, be doing this and I, yeah. I want to be, and I want to be available, but I get to pick when I work. And I also get to uh, determine what uh, a lot of other things look like when I feel like life is happening to me. And I, mm-hmm. I think one of my big weaknesses is um, uh, experiencing life as a, as a person that feels like it's happening to them instead of right, feeling sure, empowered. Right. And yeah. so I have put, you are in charge on this big legal pad, this Sharpie. I don't know what my clients think is, you know, the purpose of that, mm-hmm. but, um, but anyway, that's a long answer to how I'm doing, but that, that's, that's how I'm doing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to realize that I get to decide how these things are, how my right. time is spent and what my regrets will and won't be, you know, later yeah. down the road. So how about and, you? <laughs> well, I think this is an important dis- distinction. You are in charge is not the same as saying you are in control, right? Exactly. Yes. God right? is in control, right. but I am right. in charge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're in charge of how you respond and react. How and I receive it. Take. Yes. But, uh, but but that circle of control really doesn't extend beyond you. Yeah. Right. No, that's a great point because no, I am not saying, you know, uh, all is uh, up to me in the world at all. This is yeah. just me saying, you know, God is sovereign and in control. My higher power, the universe, whatever we're, you know, relating mm-hmm. to here is is certainly uh, in the driver's seat. But I'm in charge of how I'm going to experience it and steward it and be responsible for my own um, outcomes yes. and things like that. And I have I to be it. reminded of that every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, here's the what I find so encouraging as old as I am and, and as old as you are, I'm even older than you are. Um, I'm still learning. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing. I'm not, you know, ossified that it's not all calcified. I can still make changes. I'm still improving. I'm still adjusting, still learning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, I think, yeah. yeah, I think Nate, what you and I both do, because we both deal with people a lot in different mm-hmm. ways, you know, in different uh, capacities, but I think we do it. I, th- I don't think we could do it if we weren't curious learners about mm-hmm. um, the human experience, about life, about yeah. um, our own uh, destinies or uh, not maybe yeah, destinies, sure. but, you know, I, I think we've got to be curious learners and observers of people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, and, and, you know, constantly, um, constantly learning about, wow, that's, you know, that's where people are coming from. That's where I'm coming from. That's yeah, what, right. you know, this means. I continue to, I don't have to be defensive about, uh, screening out any information. I'm not having to defend, uh, you know, this committed, absolute, I've got everything figured out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, worldview thing that 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 so that I'm only committed to confirmation bias and I'm only going to listen to inputs that confirm what I already believe mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I'm not go- and I'm not going to defend my own habits and rituals uh, I, I suppose we could kind of parse that out a little bit but well I'm I just... being willing to adapt yeah 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 I just listened to a really interesting podcast the other day about belief. Mm-hmm. And about uh, how people are so attached to their beliefs, and you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that you know we have to do in in coaching people and and working with people in recovery is um, challenge our beliefs. But, sure. Um, but we have some false beliefs, but 
but the person was making the point, um, this, this, uh, therapist was making this point that, um, beliefs are the result more of experience and feelings that galvanize a belief than facts. Mm -hmm. So we go back and we come, we try to counter people with facts. Well, let me tell you the facts. And I know our culture has a real uh, uh, kind of a, 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 a conflicted relationship with facts right now for a bunch of reasons, maybe. But um, but but we always argue with the facts. And, and he mm-hmm. said, what you have to understand is what has galvanized a belief, whether it's religious or political or a family system or you know, some cultural ideology, what galvanized that belief was this person's experience with something and the way they felt about it. And so if you go to a particular worship experience, let's say, and you, you have a particular experience and it left you with a particular feeling, it galvanized a belief you have that maybe God works in certain ways, you Mm -hmm. know, and sure, you know, uh, but, uh, but politically, you know, we, we see it and, uh, yeah. I had this experience and it, I have this feeling about it. Therefore, I believe these people to be this, you know, and, um, and you counter it with facts, you counter it with whatever, with science or whatever. And, and that's not convincing. What changes people is their relationship to their experience and their feelings. And, mm-hmm. um, because that belief is, is attached to that. It's not attached yeah. to, I've got more data, therefore I'm you know, right. uh, coming right. to a new conclusion, not often right. anyway. So yeah. I thought yeah. that was pretty fascinating. Wow. All right. Well, Hey, fingers crossed. We're going to try and connect with a guest now down in the, in the wilds of windy Florida. Let's hope yes. this works. Yes. Cause I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, you're going to enjoy it. Uh, assuming it happens, stay tuned <laughs> to see if it does. We'll be back in a moment. <laughs> on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. We have a fascinating guest this week, David. We do. Uh, Recommended to us by a previous guest who, uh, you know, kind of piqued our interest. Why don't you go ahead and introduce her? Yeah, we've got Liz Olszewski today, um, and she comes to us from uh, the West Palm Beach area, and thankfully with power today, <laughs> with the uh, Nicole kind of making its way through there. And um, but she has a she's a founder and executive director of an organization called Horses Healing Hearts, and it works with recovery. I'm going to let her tell us all about that, but um, it's a really fascinating thing, and uh, I want to get her take on a on an experience I had with a horse at a treatment center and see if she can help me. So (laughs) while she's here, but uh, Liz, welcome to the positive sobriety podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we love our listeners to get to know our guests on a personal level as much as possible. Uh, uh, To learn a little bit about your backstory, how you wound up doing this work, working in this field, what is behind your passion and your drive. So uh, would you mind giving us a little thumbnail of how yeah. you got here? That'd be great. Um, the problem is going to be the thumbnail because I tend to be a talker. So oh, that's, that's good. great. That's right. Go ahead. <laughs> Makes our job easier. <laughs> Reader's Digest version. So um, I grew up in a in an alcoholic home. My mother um, and father, and then shortly thereafter, my stepfather were all alcoholics. Um, a lot of violence, uh, mm. a lot of 
free, uh, you know, fearful times and a lot of unknown, which many children of alcoholics go through. So when um, I was about six, my mother and father separated and then she remarried um, my stepfather, who was a pilot. Mm. And uh, I guess when I was 12, they got divorced. And about that same time, my stepfather sent me to his sister's uh, place in, in Pennsylvania, and I spent a summer there. And that's really where the origin of this, my story with, um, with starting Horses Healing Hearts began, is I met Jonathan, a rescued Mustang. Mm. And when I say rescued, I mean, it took her three times to get him on the trailer. Uh. And he had been beaten. And, and by the time I met him, she had already trained him to a really high level in dressage. But I remember wow. sitting there in the paddock with him and just connecting. Like, it sounds kind of kind of like funny, but like, I, I really felt our souls connecting. And I looked at his body and I remember thinking, like, your scars get these little gray scars all over the outside of his body. And I thought, you're scarred on the outside. I'm scarred on the inside. Mm. Been rescued and done amazing things. And I would love to be rescued. I think I have that same uh. aptitude, but I just need a chance, you know? Uh -huh. So mm -hmm. we really connected. And my aunt, uh, step aunt, had also lost her sister to alcoholism. So we had some really open, you know, dialogues about what was happening at home. And uh -huh. that was my very first kind of insight into a healthy home. You know, her mm. and her husband would have dinner at night and maybe open a bottle of wine and drink half of it and cork it. And I just looked at them like, what, <laughs> what is that? that? You know? <laughs> um, and at times, quite honestly, it was boring, you know, uh -huh. because in an alcoholic home, you have a lot of up and down and craziness and your adrenaline and cortisol is always going. And yeah, I can remember some real dips were going like, really, you know, and if it weren't for the horse and, you know, I'm not sure if I'd have made it through with such great memories, but, but she was, she was a great mentor. And then, so I get home and I find out that my mom has been given six months to live from cirrhosis. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I was 13 at the time. So you know, the doctors ended up being 10 years off. She lived another 10 years. But at the wow. time, we didn't know that. So mm -hmm. my aunt from Ohio took me to raise. It wasn't even, a, it was not blood relation. It was my mother's brother's ex-wife. Wow. Took me into her home with her two kids and raised me from the time I was 13 to college. Mm. And, um, you know, thank God. I didn't, I don't think I realized at that point how close I came to being in the foster system. Uh, yeah. And, you know, at that age, it's kind of like, why me? And a lot of um, just a lot of, I don't know what you would call it, just feeling sorry for myself, I guess is the best way to put it. But I got through for journaling and writing some poems and things. And then um, graduate college, I marry my husband, we build a great business. And all along the time, I'm thinking because we had no money. And when I lived with my mom before I, I moved into my aunt's, we lived in some pretty desolate situations. I mean, yeah. several, uh -huh. no, no heat in Ohio, wow. no toilet, no shower. So I was kind of the stinky kid at school with the greasy hair and buck uh, teeth. You know, uh, it was not, not pretty, really low self-esteem. But so, um, so in my mind, I'm thinking if we just get money, like I knew alcoholism was a problem, but if we get money, lots of money, that'll solve everything. So my husband and I end up selling a chain of businesses and 
you know, at the time, this was probably 15 years, we had about 2 million clear, which in this day and age, isn't really a lot of money. But to me, I was a millionaire, you know, I was really sure, right, yeah. Um, and then when we did the closing, I remember sitting out in the car and looking at my husband and going, this is just really anticlimactic. Like I mm-hmm. thought it was magical. And of course, the months that followed that, you you still have worries. Your worries just change. Mm-hmm. You know, instead right, of yeah. how do you make payroll, now it's how do you protect your money and your investment. And yeah. Now if I get sued, I can actually lose something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so gosh, about thirteen years ago was when I I remember myself going through this process of. I'm sure you've heard of Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. He does something called the the rocking chair test, which is kind of morbid, but you're envisioning your your funeral. Mm. And it's like, who's there and what are they saying about me? And most of the people there were saying that I was a great extension of my husband. Like I balanced him well in the business. And it just got to me like I'm put on this earth to be more than that. Uh Uh And I I just started thinking like, where was I most happy in my life? And I went back to that barn in Pennsylvania. Wow. And I thought, how how am I going to do this? I want to start something. I want to leave a legacy. I want to. You know, I kind of got this vision of my aunt, like dropping up a little pebble into water and you see those ripples. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think, you know, I want to ripple that, you know, I want to expound on that. So I didn't, at the time I was writing a kind of a autobiographical um, book and I thought for some reason that wasn't hitting it. So I kind of asked myself the question, the same question Tony does as he says, ask the right questions. How can I help these kids, which is what I wanted to do with the book uh-huh. and involve horses. Cause that's my passion. Hmm. I didn't know right away, but about, I don't know, three months later, I was sidewalking at a farm where you help kids with, you know, hippotherapy. And I got out of the car and I saw an autism, a bumper sticker for autism with a little puzzle piece floating away. And it said one in a hundred, that tells you how long ago, because I think it's really like one in 50 now, <laughs> but yeah. it hit me. We're one in four children of alcoholics. Yeah. Yeah. One in every four families under the age of 18 is growing up with somebody um, struggling with addiction. And I thought if it works for soldiers with PTSD and it works for, why not? It helped me. Mm-hmm. So I started it with two kids and $70 in the bank. And that was 13 years ago when we've helped, I think almost 500 families, 6,000 individuals and um, wow, we have about a quarter of a million dollar annual annual budget. But I like to say we have less than $70 at the bank at any one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We're spending money in the bank. Yeah. So that's, that's full circle. Last year we had a movie done about the founding that was called Without Wings and it made it to the um, Palm Beach Film Festival and the nice. Fort, uh, Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival. Oh, wow. No, yeah, we're really proud of that. Is that movie available uh, to stream anywhere, or can it people find soon. it? Yeah, it will be soon. We're getting ready to put it on Amazon. Okay, Just yeah, nine dollars or three dollars. Who knows? We well, yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I think about horses, uh, because I, you know, David and I, you know, we're with you. We know that um, you know recovery is all about service. And we want to be of service. We want to leave a legacy and we want to, you know, we've been given a gift and we know we can keep it by giving it away. Um, And when I think about horses, this practical part of me, all of a sudden I see all these freaking dollar signs. I mean, horses are expensive. Feed, barns, insurance scares the crap out of me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 
I had my own horse at the time and in South Florida, multiply that by about three because there's no nutrient in the soil here. It's all sand. Oh, right. Yeah. You can't just go out and graze on grass. We have to bring in all the hay. So to your point, back to Tony Robbins, he says, if you don't, don't reinvent the wheel, find somebody who's doing what you're doing and emulate it. So I got online and I found a place in California called Horses in the Hood. Mm-hmm. And this gal um, basically takes the kids from the inner city who might never have an opportunity to meet horses. And she sends them off to um, like same thing as I said, like partner barns, sponsor barns. And they spend some time there. So the barn's already existing and serving clients. And then mm-hmm. we just kind of form a, an alliance and figure out how we can pay to use the horses that are already there because you're absolutely right. If, if initially in the beginning, I'm like, I need my own barn and, and thank God nobody gave me the money to get my own barn because <laughs> yeah. that was, you know, be careful what you wish for. It's you're mm-hmm. right. It's completely cost prohibitive, at least on the scale I'm running it now. Now who's to say in the future, you know, something, but I, I don't think I'd take a barn right now unless somebody gave me, you know, property taxes and, mm-hmm. and operating expenses for the next three years. I mean, that's, you're right. Yeah. Very, very. Yeah. Every person engaged in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for being involved. Maybe it's a husband or wife, a daughter or son, a mom or a dad, a best friend, a colleague, a job, a hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, We're all in this together. On the Positive Sobriety Podcast, we understand that the opposite of addiction is connection. And our mission includes building a strong community and working together to break the stigma of alcohol addiction. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink to expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or a relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at soberlink.com PSP. That PSP, of course, stands for Positive Sobriety Podcast. The link again is soberlink.com PSP. Well, Liz, so what happens when a person with, uh, you know, struggles and needs and inner conflict um, uh, experiences a relationship with an animal, a horse? Um, You know, how does equine therapy or uh, these types of programs, um, how do these things impact people because let me give you a little back little backstory just for me i visited a treatment center uh because i get invited out 
because of what I do uh, to visit places. People are always real proud of what they do and their programs, and they love to show them off. And uh, one particular place south of Nashville has um, a barn with probably, I don't know, I think they had about eight horses, something like that, uh, mm-hmm. at their treatment facility. And our uh, part of our you know day was we got to go spend time with the horses. And I don't really know anything about horses. I grew up in the city, and I'm a city person, and I'm... You know, so I, I just kind of am doing whatever they tell me to do. And um, and so each person was assigned an animal. And uh, the director of the program said, I just want you to get your horse to go from where you're standing with him. And, and you know, we had the reins in our hand or whatever and uh, and get him to, you know, from this point A over to this point B across the, the uh, open uh, area, you know, that we were in. Uh, the gated up area, fenced in area. Um, and, uh, and, and that's all you really have to do. Just take the horse and guide it from A to B. And that, so I thought, okay, well, that's pretty simple. So let's go. <laughs> come on, horse. Come on. I mean, what's the deal? You've done this before, obviously, with people. So, you know, you surely know the drill. And that animal would not move. I couldn't get I couldn't get anywhere with that. And, and so I was frustrated because I'm like, what, what am I not doing? What's going on? What's the deal with this? With, you know, because the problem's obviously the horse. Right. And so anyway, it was interesting because several of us were having the issue and what it came out to be was the director was saying, this is the, this is the thing that horse is sensing the, the resistance and all these things in you and you're not you're not uh, you know you're not guiding you're not doing this you're just you're just showing up and saying hey you know let's do this and anyway he made a great word picture of you know paralleling how we sometimes approach people in recovery you know like stop just stop drinking why don't you just do it but um anyway i don't know if you can give me insight at some point on what happened with me and the horse but um but how does how does the experience of working with these beautiful animals impact people in a way that, um, you know, that they just, uh, that they remarkably changes them. It does. Yeah. Again, this could be an hour long conversation. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking of like three different ways to explain it, but Mm -hmm. the the most basic thing I guess I can explain is, um, I don't want to go to the predator prey history. I will go to that in a minute, but when I have you guys heard the saying, and I think it was on a YouTube that somebody did this, it says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. Oh, it's yeah, connection. it's connection. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. yeah. yeah. Yes. So when you think of a horse, they are all about communication and connection. Right. And the simplest way to explain this is unless we are connected with ourselves, mm-hmm. meaning what's up here is happening here and happening in our stomach. And we're all congruent, if you will. The horse is not going to connect with us. And that goes back to predator prey, which I'll explain in a minute. But they can sense it immediately. And, you know, the easiest thing that I like to tell people, too, is each horse kind of has their own personality. And it's a little bit like you or me on the surface. You know, if I'm laying on the couch and somebody says, go to the gym, Mm -hmm. eh, you know, make me. Well, Uh if you know that you don't know how to make them, they're 1,200 pounds, you're whatever. Yeah. You don't have the skill level. So they kind of know that. And they just like, you know, I'd rather just stand here. I really don't want to walk. You yeah, know, yeah. That on the surface, that's kind of one thing that's happening. But deeper and more um, 
important and, and basic to this whole thing is that connection. So the predator prey thing, horses are, are prey as big as they are. People think they'd be predators. No, their natural predator would be like a lion or a cougar. And the horse's energy field is 80 feet. Wow. So if that lion, let's say, is laying at 79 feet and they're faking sleeping versus really sleeping, which is what they do before they attack, the horse knows the difference. Uh-huh. And that's how they've survived these millions of years. So translate that to us. If we go in the arena in that 80 feet and in our head, we're going, this is stupid. I don't know how a stupid horse is going to help me get recovery. I'm nervous. I'm not liking this. And then they go, come over here and connect with the horse. Okay. You know, and on the face, you're like, I'm fine. Everything's great. The horse goes, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. This doesn't match this. Right. I don't know if you're going to eat me. I don't know what your intentions are. So I'm not having it. They won't attack you, but they certainly won't connect. Mm-hmm. So we tell people, you know, when you're around a dog and you say, oh, don't let the dog smell your fear. The horse knows everything. Mm-hmm. So the best thing to do is if you're, you're scared, just say, look, I'm scared to death right now. Mm-hmm. The horse with that they're completely fine with that because you're matching uh-huh. so that um and kind of a touching story one of we tell the kids you know when you come here you have to feel your feelings and for these kids who have grown up in addiction they've learned don't talk don't trust don't, don't feel. feel absolutely yeah. completely disassociated with your feelings that's how they survive so we're asking a pretty big ask and i've had a girl one time literally raise her hand she's 12 years old and she said what if you've forgotten how to feel Oh, wow. What a question. Yeah. So I kind of looked at her and I didn't really feel like I had a good answer. And I, I went to the old, just keep coming back answer. And um, the, about the third time she came back, um, she's over in the cross ties. She's brushing a horse's mane and I see her shoulders start shaking and, and she's crying. And I walk up to her and I said, you know what? Her name was Shelby. I said, what's, what's happening? What's going on? And just floodgate of emotions. And she's almost hyperventilating. And she looks at me and she says, I can't name what I'm feeling like they're oh, good, wow. they're happy, they're sad. They're, and I said, think about it. You've been holding in feelings for so long. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And horses will kind of bring stuff to the surface. So she does this for a few minutes and then she literally stops mid kind of breath. And she looks at the horse's eye and she looks at my eye and she said, are my tears upsetting the horse? Mm. There's that independence that we all right. get when we get, right. you know, I got to keep right. everybody around me happy and yeah. so that I'm safe. You know, when I said no. He's completely fine with your tears because mm. they're genuine. Wow. You try and come back, you know, that. So at the end of the session, she comes up and she says, Miss Liz, I don't want you to think like everything's perfect. But she said, literally all over my body, I feel lighter. Wow. So here's a kid who three weeks ago verbalized that she couldn't remember how to feel. Mm-hmm. And now she's taken it to the point where all of this has been kind of dumped and brought up and she can manifest that physical feeling of lighter because of that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that, that was my up answer. Oh, uh, no, that's a that's a that's a great answer. I mean, I I feel like um it's interesting is is your um is your group that you primarily work with uh are is it mostly teens and young adults or so we started with one program. Now we've kind of morphed into three, but um, the first program is our prevention program for children. And that ranges in age from eight to 17. And it's broken into two groups, elementary and then middle and high school. Uh-huh. And they come for two hours every other week. And um, the way I like to describe this to people who, who are kind of like, because it's new what we're, we're doing. So we have to find unique ways. It's kind of like a combination of um, Alateen meets uh breakfast club meets pony club there you go okay yeah 
So they have a chance to share what they're going through through the week. We call it highs and lows. And that might be anything from, you know, I got an A on a test to my dad's on life support because he overdosed last night. Mm. So it's a gamut. Um, and then after, as they're sharing, we also go through something from the, there's a book put out by SAMHSA called the Children's Program Kit, which um, goes over different topics of like um, safe people, feelings, um, addiction, treatment, recovery, um, you know, basically, I don't know if I said decision making, I think I, there's six of them, but the idea is that we're teaching them the life skills that they're not learning at home because uh -huh. their parent is absorbed in their addiction and their parent is not a bad person. Uh -huh. Their parent is human and has a bad disease uh -huh. and it's okay to talk about it might not be safe to talk about it at home, but we are somewhere where they don't have to have the shame uh -huh. or the fear or feel different because everyone in that room is going through what they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. So and then they also get to ride and that's, that's awesome too. Um, Cause they get that connection of, and a lot of our kids struggle with, you know, ADHD and that frontal lobe, you know, their impulse control, they struggle with that. But I'll tell you, when they get on a horse, mm -hmm. if you think about all the things that, that are pulled in when you ride in terms of balance and you've got four limbs that might be doing something different and you're thinking and you're looking and you're, and something's moving under you, you know, it, you really don't have time to be bored. So somebody who has ADHD really thrives in that. And the trainer will often say, they're great. They didn't, you know, whereas you put them in a classroom and they can't sit still. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Well, wow. Um, who is your network? Um, where, like, where do you find our clients? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the most common question I get. Um, so we get referred by agencies. We get it. Most of it's from the rooms, just the rooms of AA. Mm -hmm. um, we also um, get basically like, so Big Brothers, Big Sisters is a big referral network. They have in their, um, in their program, in order to get in the program, if they have somebody, a parent who's using, they have to have six months sobriety before they'll match them with a the big. Mm. And at first I got a little frustrated hearing that. And they said, you know, can they hang out with you? And, but what they're doing is they're controlling their outcomes uh -huh. because there's so many people who need their services. They're investing the donor dollars into the situations where they know those people already have something going in their favor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with our kids, we quite honestly, we kind of do the same. I don't know if you've heard of um, the, uh, Oh God, my brain's escaping me now. Um, the score, the one, a scores adverse oh, childhood. Yeah. ACEs, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we knew about those, you know, it's kind of been common, not common, but it's coming into community knowledge in the last two or three years. But the gal who's the head of the president of NACOA was teaching me about this about nine years ago. And our A score for our perfect client is really between like five and four and seven. Because if you've got an A score before under four, mm -hmm. you probably maybe don't need the help as much as others. Mm -hmm. If you're eight, nine or 10, you really need a therapist. It's trauma. And yeah. 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 Not to say we can't be in there incongruent, you know, congruent with that. But and then the other pro we started two other programs about seven years ago. We started seeing adults and we they don't ride, but they come to the farm and we do a um, evidence based therapy where they're on the ground, similar to probably what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen sixty two hundred clients in the last um, five or six years because we're in Delray Beach. So we have like a proliferation. Prol proliferation, easy for me to say, of treatment centers around mm -hmm. us. Um, 
And then we have, let's see what else. Our next program that we started was um, our youth emotional healing. Uh And that's for adolescents who are 11 to 18. And that's a broader scope. They can be struggling with anxiety, depression, um, you know, gender identity, Uh bullying, suicidal ideations, you know, any of that. So we really have three programs now. Wow. And so uh, do the kids have to be sponsored to to come in? How does that all play out? So we, um, some of our kids are paid for, they're 100% sponsored. The mm-hmm. kids who are not, they're basically, everyone is at least like 75% sponsored. So the mm-hmm. younger, uh, the children's program, the most I think any parent pays is $120 a month. Mm. And the child comes twice Um in person and then twice we do um, virtual Zoom on the off weeks. Mm-hmm. So when you think, let's just call it the farm time, $60 per child for two hours and you get to eat and ride and, you know, basically support, counseling support. Mm-hmm. Um, and it costs us about $75 for each child each time we go to the farm. Mm-hmm. So if you add that up, it's there, a lot of them are few of them are hundred percent. Most of them are around 60 to 70% scholarship. Okay. In the beginning we did it for free and I'll tell you what, it was not, we were a glorified babysitting service. They've oh, got to have, they got to have skin game. in the game. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, we find that in coaching and counseling work as well. You know, even if somebody pays $20 as opposed mm-hmm. to the fee, you know, that others might pay, um, right. they at least have, uh, a commitment or feel a sense of commitment, you know, uh, for sure. Do you, so do you have to go out and be the face of this uh, program and uh, raise money and make awareness and create an understanding? Um, how does that, how does that go? Um, that's the hardest part of my job is, well, as you can see, I like talking about it. That's not the problem. It's finding the audience and then it's following up after that. I'm not so great at. So, um, you know, and I tell people, I, I say this in the movie, if I'd have known 13 years ago how hard it was going to be to raise funds to keep this going, I I would not have started it. Mm. Um, but thank God, you don't know those things. You kind of start out blindly. Yeah. Um, and each year, you know, I, it's, I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm very type A, and I I've learned I have to delegate. I have to ask for help. Like a typical codependent person, mm. I really struggle with asking for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been really humbled in this process because you need a village, the same village that raised me. I need to create a village to keep this going. Uh-huh. I can't do it myself. Um, and so, and you also have to be able to be creative. You know, I've, again, I'm very like left brain type A and it brings me back to your combat, your story with the horse too, because we have a herd of like six horses and there's two or three horses in there that I find that left brain people who walk up to them with the lead rope and they're like, you are going to walk with me. And they try and force it. The horse just gets like, you can see the horse laughing. Uh-huh. Like never, yeah, <laughs> they get really lost in it. But if somebody else comes up and just grabs the lead and starts walking, I have like this little um, project or experiment I do. I go up and I say, are you, do you like to draw or write or act? Or are you very artsy, right, right brained? And nine times out of 10, they'll say yes. Oh, and wow. horses, for some reason, just meld with these right brain people mm-hmm. very easily. Where us left brain logic, force it, make it happen. They're like, eh, you gotta, you gotta come to us and listen to us. And that's another reason that horses are so great because 
they obviously can't speak. So you've got to read their body language every second. You've got to see, are their ears pinned back? Are they twitching? Are they, in a, and if they're pulling their foot up and or hoof up and you know, putting it back down, is it because of flies or are they irritated? I mean, uh. it's constant. You've got to read all these signals. And I think when we get in addiction or in our, even in our own lives and not in addiction, we just are putting out signals. We're right. really not watching and taking them in. And it's this dance of communication. And you you get sucked in because you want to connect with that horse. So it's it's really cool that way. Yeah. Well, um, so I, you know, I, I wonder, do people, um, you've been doing this for a little while, do people come back and uh, at some point and tell you um, stories about how they were impacted that you may not have even been aware of, those kind of things? Yeah, yeah I'm trying to think. Is that there's so many really cool stories. Um, they do. They come back, and these horses have such an impact on people that we don't realize. Um, they'll leave there, and a year or two later, they might come back and say, little Sammy, who is a little mini, who is really, quite honestly, kind of, he can be very obnoxious with his mouth, and he sets boundaries, and but people love him the most. And I, I tend to feel it's men and they'll say, because that's me. Like I'm going to hurt somebody before they hurt me mm-hmm. or I can be with people, but it's on my, under my terms. Mm-hmm. So they really identify with certain personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I have another two minute story if we have time. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had a group of females, the facilitator and I, that these women came out in the, um, one of them had lost her son in the war. His name was Justin, and she's talking about it. And that particular day, we were working with all minis, and we the exercise is that you name each corner of the arena, each four corners, you name two things that you lost in your addiction, uh-huh. and then two things that you're going to get back, and it, they don't have to be you know, related. And she named one of the corners death because that was – she had lost her son with during the time she was addicted, uh-huh. even though it was kind of war that took them. And she had this mini, oh, she'd gone to a few other corners, fine with the horse. She gets in this corner that she named death and that horse would not leave that corner. And you see her leaning down and talking to the mini, you see her hugging the mini, you see her crying, you see her trying to just, she's desperate. She's trying to get that horse out of that corner. And the facilitator and I, as hard as it is, cause we get involved in these stories is we've got really got to stay objective. But so at the end, when Rhonda came over and she said, so what, I'm curious, what did you name this corner? And she said, death. And she said, it dawned on me now, this horse is Justin. This horse is my son. And that's why he's not leaving the corner. Well, we were kind of awestruck at that. So we go to close the session and it, we say the names at the end because we don't want the patients or clients to associate any meanings, you know, names carry meanings. So we say, you know, we'll tell you their names at the end. So this particular mini's horse name was Romeo. And when we said that name, her face got white. I thought she was going to pass out. She said, I need to sit down. And we're like, okay, are you hot? What's happening? And she said, just give me a minute. I can't speak right now. So finally she came up and she said, you remember Justin? I told you, yes, yes. Well, um, there were two other um, officers or two other platoon members with him and his officer, all four of them died. And officer's name was Romeo or I'm sorry, Sergeant, Sergeant Romeo. Oh my gosh. Wow. So it was Romeo that had passed that wasn't leaving. And she just bawled and bawled and bawled. And, you know, so finally we said, you know, we have to put him back in the stall and this and that. And we put him away and we got a letter about a week later. And she said, 
I probably could not have gotten sober for myself. But she said the fact that that name and everything connected, and I knew Justin was with me because that's the kind of things he does. I decided to get sober for my son. Mm. And uh, she, we let her come back and she went and talked to the horse and it was Romeo. You know, she was saying, thank you for being there with my son and thank you for your sacrifice. And it just, there wasn't a dry eye around. Oh man. Wow. Kind of cool. I'm actually writing a, a book of those kind of things. It's not finished yet, but. Oh, that'd amazing. be a great thing. Could archive those stories and experiences for people, for yourself and organization. And, you know, uh, I, I talk with a lot of people who have um, like nonprofits and different organizations that do uh, work related with therapies and all of that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's always so great to hear the stories, you know, the the real ways that, that things uh, people are impacted because it's it's so much bigger than just, um, you know, uh, recovery or just making peace with um, a past and, and all of that. There's, there's so much that comes out in these, in these kind of experiences. So I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're doing that. I love to look forward to seeing the book. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Liz, this has been so good to have you with us. How can people get in touch with you? And, um, maybe, I don't know, uh, thinking really positively somebody who might want to support some of the work you do yeah. or get in touch with all give of us that. like ten thousand dollars yeah like that. exactly yeah. sponsor <laughs> a, an animal or you know anything yeah <laughs> that would be great um they can reach us our website is um www.hhhusa.org mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um and they could they could call me my number is 561-713-6133 um or reach me uh, email liz at hhhusa.org okay well, this has been so good, and and I wish you all the best with uh, what you're doing there, and um, with all of and this. And I'll let you know when our when our movie's up and out. Yeah, I'll, please. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the screener so you can watch it, and then I'll let you um, know when it gets on Amazon so you can share it with your audience. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, will we get uh, everything uh, edited down today? Uh, you know, it'll probably be a week or so. We'll send you a link as well to uh, use in any way that's helpful to you, because uh, I know that it's uh, really important for us to get to share uh, what we're doing with others so that they're aware. And uh, like I said, you never know who may want to jump in and Absolutely, uh, be yeah. a part of this. So uh, thank you for the work you guys do. It's well, amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, listeners, we will be right back on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And um, Nate, I I had a fascinating interview with Liz. Um, uh, yeah, I, mean, I was involved in it there for a while. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what was going on with our, you know, fancy dancy online uh, recording deal here. But all of a sudden I could hear you. I could see you and you guys could not hear me. No, it's you became a ghost. And I knew you had a lot of interesting uh, things you would probably have loved to have asked. Yeah. Um, but well, uh, I, what do you think? Well, it gave me time to sit here and think anyway. Yeah. And, so. and here's, here's what I got wondering about, David. Of course, more than 20 years into recovery, uh, I'm still, uh, I, I'm working upstream against that very deeply ingrained, early programmed message, don't feel, right? So yeah. 
feelings still don't seem natural to me. I have to work to identify those feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made me wonder if you have to be emotionally congruent really for a horse to trust you. Mm-hmm. Did we lose something as a culture when uh, when the mechanical age began? When mm. we didn't have horse, dri- people weren't riding horses, driving horses anymore. Mm-hmm. It all became mechanical. Mm-hmm. Now we're only, you know, we still will name our machines and say it's a she or whatever. But it I, mm-hmm. obviously, it doesn't care whether we're emotionally congruent or not. Right. The car will start and off we go. So. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So I, wa- I wonder, what's the, is there a broader cultural sociological implication to the fact that we... We left the horse behind. Did that have a negative impact on our personal and collective mental health? Ah, I wonder. Well, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday talking about um, anthropologically how humans were designed to be uh, engaged, active, more involved in the earth and in the nature and the animal, you know, associations and all that kind of stuff. And now, you know, everything is very artificial and virtual, even our relationships, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, um, did we did we lose part of our connection to, uh, I don't know, creation and the yeah. animal uh, to ourselves? Um, yeah. Like I'm hearing you say, I, I think it's a good question. Yeah. We, and, we you know, and each that. other. <laughs> sure. Sure. No. <laughs> You know, uh, you know, I think it's been noticed that kids there's a lot more online bullying these days. Right. Kids are saying cruel things to each other. For sure. Uh, but you can do that at a distance if you're doing it by text or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you're not actual in physical proximity to the person who is impacted by what you're saying or doing. Mm-hmm. As a result, I think we have this gradual loss of empathetic connection with one another. Yeah. It makes us into a less caring and a, you know, a hardened and more brutal. And as a result, we're brutalizing each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So everybody has to grow a thicker skin. Everybody has to. Oh man. Yeah. So, you know, you know, yeah, that, could, that, could we drive all the cars in the, into the ocean and throw all the phones away? Uh, I don't know. Of yeah. course not. Of well, course not. Yeah. But it complicates the task of being fully human, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it and it's funny because when when I went out, even just to that treatment center, I shared that story. Um, I felt so uh, foreign and alien in this mm-hmm. uh, in this barn going out into this kind of walking arena with this yeah, yeah. huge animal that you know probably my you know, great, great, great grandfather would have just done in his yeah. sleep, you know? Yeah, sure. Right. Um, but I'm standing there going, the smells are foreign to me. I don't like the dirt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and the animal is a little intimidating, uh, quite a bit intimidating actually. Yeah. And, uh, and the environment is foreign. I love being outside with it. And I love the, in, I love the idea of it and the experience yeah. of it ultimately. But, um, but the reality of the, of the connection to all that goes into uh, feeling feeling connected to to the you know the the 
the nature around us through that animal. I think yeah. we, you're right. I think there's something really interesting about that. But um, but I hope that folks will uh, look up her organization, and I hope mm-hmm. they'll um, you know really kind of take some time to explore, uh, you know, if they do have a little money to throw at something to to help support, uh, some of the work that they're, that they're about, because they do have, you know, some, some tremendous stories and responses. Well, this was a really helpful episode to me, even though I was relegated to, uh, spectator status for most of the interview, it helped me to understand better the purpose and the mechanics, really how, how equine therapy works. Uh-huh. The first time I heard the, you know, treatment centers are sending people out in the pasture with a horse and that's uh-huh. somehow helping. Uh-huh. You know, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Now yeah. it's starting to make sense. Uh-huh. Kind, kind of makes me want to go get to know a horse. Yeah. Well, and here we are in, you know, uh, middle Tennessee and, uh, you know, we passed a dozen horse farms on our way to, you know, the store practically. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You know, we've got a plethora of, of that here and, and some people here doing some good work with that too. But, um, I was impressed by the stories. I was impressed by, uh, the, the, the way that, um, there's a, there seems to be a real empathy for what the, the young adult people are experiencing mm-hmm, in their, mm-hmm. in their lives as they yeah, go into yeah. that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, yeah. Well, listeners, we'd love to hear your uh, feedback on this episode. Uh, was it helpful to you? And if so, in what way did it raise questions? Did it prompt ideas, creative ideas? Uh, any kind of feedback that you can give us will be very helpful. Great, greatly appreciate it. And you can reach us, as always, at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Well, David, I guess that's it for this week. We've got plenty more great conversations coming up. We do. We Uh, do. Until next time, then I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe by (laughs) Kathy Gifford. 